Welcome to CPP Chat, a conceptual look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we chrome in on this week's or month's or maybe year's guest, John has an important public service announcement. Thank you very much, Phil. Past performance does not guarantee future results. You should not rely on past performance as a guarantee of future investment performance. Unit values and investment results will fluctuate. Investors are cautioned that data, based on less than five years' experience, may not be sufficient to establish a track record on which investment decisions can be made. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. It, it has been a while, hasn't it? Um, but it's, it feels good to be back. Our, uh, our, our guest is someone who has fallen off the radar, but is now, <laughs> we're dragging him back into the spotlight. Uh, Christopher Devella is a software engineer working on Chrome OS at Google. So you're working on Chrome OS, which is not a Google product. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Which, which is the, the Google, well, I'm going to let you explain it because I'm confused about it. <laughs> um, but you're working, you're working on Clang, right? Um, and also we're going to talk about concepts because that's what I want to get into too. I'm sorry, I, I blew that completely, Chris. I, I apologize fine. to you. So um, I, I think the first thing to say is that... Um, uh, although for Google, everything I say on here is uh, is my own opinions, and sure. everything I say is not representative. So anything I say is not representative of uh, of a Google policy or position. You're not um, an official Google spokesperson. <laughs> apparently not. Uh, I just, as I just said, like yeah, right. I understand. And unlike John's, that was a that was a real disclaimer. Yes, that was a real disclaimer. Unlike mine. Yes. Uh, what was I going to say? Right. Uh, so I, I don't work on Chrome OS specifically. I work on the Chrome OS toolchain, which is slightly removed. Um, it's essentially, yeah, the goal of my team is to give people who do work on Chrome OS uh, and build software for Chrome OS uh, a robust and high-quality toolchain. Uh, so that, that, that's that's very much a... Um, uh, there's very much involved with LLVM, uh, which is actually how I, I contributed my first Clang patches. Um, and uh, I, I've managed to uh, also get a bit of LLVM, uh, LLVM a bit of uh, a bit of other, uh, been to touch on other L, uh, LLVM projects, uh, libc++ being one of them. So um, I have, a, I have a, a history question, which is that... Um, my guess is, and that's why I'm asking the question, that at one point in sometime in the past, uh, uh, Chrome was GCC. Is, is that the case? Did it make a switch at some point to Clang or was it always on Clang? Um, that I can't really tell you, not because of any, uh, I I any particular reason other than I simply don't know. I think there's been a transition period, uh, but that is about as much as I can say off the well, top of my head. But the, but this but but now it's fully all about the Clang and LLVM. It's not a hundred percent LLVM yet, but oh, it's okay. very close. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. All right. All right. There's still like one or two things that that need a bit of attention. Okay, so by that you're saying there's still some things that are still on GCC. Uh, not GCC specifically, but I believe uh, related to that toolchain. I see. Okay. All right. So, all right. All right. Yeah. I, I've had to uh, I've had to actually look into the GCC stuff and um, and and play with that for for stuff that's not been committed, but just to get a bit of a better understanding. But um, that's about as much as I've, I've touched on that side of things at the moment. So um, this is one thing that um, that I've kind of wondered about, and, and I'm not mm -hmm. I, I'm not certainly you're really the authority on that, but I just is I had seen Clang 
um, get better and better adoption in lots and lots of places. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm wondering now if it's in a situation where um, there's kind of a, I don't know what to say. Um, you know, the, the GCC guys are are not standing still either. And so I don't know if we're going to see a situation where at one point I, I almost thought that Clang was going to eat the world. And now mm -hmm. I'm wondering if, no, no, Clang is just getting to a, a size that makes sense for it, a, a market share that makes sense for it, and it's going to kind of stabilize. But I don't know. Yeah. I haven't really looked at this in recent years. Uh, but um, I know there's there, that, um, as I say, GCC is not standing still. They're pushing hard and they're uh, doing a great job of staying, uh, tracking the standard, which at this point is pretty challenging because the standards committee is is running on all gears, right? <laughs> right, yes. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be touching on that, uh, I think, at least once or twice later on. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't really have any, uh, I, I haven't even observed what you've, uh, what you've just commented on uh, simply because I've been looking for it. Um, but I, I think my, my personal opinion here is that uh, having having GCC and Clang being neck and neck for uh, fighting for market share rather than having one that's, that's sort of got majority market share is a really good thing for both compilers because it means that they've both got to stay at the top of their game and neither of them will, uh, if, 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 if that's the case, then neither of them can really afford to uh to sort of get complacent yeah and exactly I, I think that competitiveness just helps prevent complacency yeah i'm not which... sure if it's good for both compilers but it's certainly good for the community right and, yes and this is this is one of the things that i um was always a little bit um i don't know what, how, to, how to quantify i mean it wasn't a terrible i didn't cry myself to sleep but but back when i was a, a full-time software engineer actually writing code as opposed to just talking about code um mm -hmm. I was never in a situation where I could have two compilers. There was always something so specific about most of the time I was a Mac programmer. And so a lot of times, you know, you know, just there weren't as many varieties. And sometimes the, some of the natures of what we were doing, it was like, no, this is the compiler you're going to use. And there's only one. And the idea that you could just to test it, which is what I'd really like to do, is I'd like to run this with another compiler. And even if for whatever reason that's not the shipping compiler, I want the warnings, I want the error messages, I want to know. Um, what um, what its opinion of my code is. And that's something that you can do better now, I think, than you could in the past. In fact, I think tooling in general is so much better than it used to be that, um, you know, I, I look back and think about the things we do and then realize all the things that we have now for tooling. It's, it's really great. We're in a wonderful time from that point of view. Right. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely think that, you know, even a decade ago, the uh, the tooling wasn't as, uh, as quite, we're quite, uh, we're quite, um, blessed here in 2021 with all the tools we've got. Yeah. So um, speaking of tools, although I'm not sure how much of a tool this is as much as a, a library, but, um, mm -hmm. but one of the things that we wanted to talk about was um, libc++, which is the library for Clang LLVM and the work you've done on it, because you've just recently hit kind of a milestone, I guess, right? Yeah. So um, over the past, uh, I guess, uh, there's a little bit beforehand uh, 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 that uh, they, they got committed in 2020, but the majority of the work happened in over the past, uh, I guess, four months. Um, uh, we, we've been able to uh, get uh, get all of the the concepts library committed and um, into 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 uh, to main, and that means that it'll be shipping in 
modulo bugs, although I don't know if there's anything, and I know there may be one or two things that, that have the capacity for bugs. I don't, I don't expect them to have bugs, but they, I was going to say there's nothing that has the capacity because it's just copy paste from the standard. There's a few things that that's not the case. Anyway, um, it should be shipping all going well in LLVM 13, which I believe it has its release date set for September, but you can already try this out on compiler explorer. Uh, and you can, uh, if you, if you want to build LLVM, uh, you can do that, or you can pull it from the nightly, if you, uh, the nightly builds, if you're running an app based version of Linux, I don't know about windows. I've had a few questions about that, but I'm, uh, I'm not sure how the windows releases, uh, how frequently they're done. Okay. So I've got a lot of questions because I'm naive about all this stuff. So what you've done is you've talked about making the library support for concepts obviously mm -hmm. that depends on language support which means we're talking 20 only right yeah yeah so so but on the other hand if i'm how do i say this um suppose i am using uh the latest clang and, and we, we're not shipping this yet because you said september is what we're looking at but i mean are we going to have a situation where i'm not i'm not yet using 20 i'm still using 17 but i still want the latest compiler for the optimizations and all the tools and things like that sure um so am i going to use a is there a are there a bunch of if defs is what i'm trying to say are there a bunch of if defs in the library headers so that if i'm not using 20 i'm using the same libraries or are, do i pull different headers how, how is this going to work for me right now uh, the libraries the concepts library is shipping as just uh, the concepts header, uh, nothing is using it in, uh, nothing else in the standard library is using concepts. So there's no if defs that, uh, so for example, vector doesn't, uh, doesn't take advantage of concept because it's, and I don't, I don't know, uh, there's certainly no roadmap that I'm aware of. I don't know if, uh, if we'll ever have plans to, uh, to have if defs for, uh, for Spina versus concepts, um, because that may, uh, that may or may not hurt readability in uh in some cases so that'll probably be something that'll be explored long after we get through the uh the ranges component of of uh libraryification i i think that, that, that that's a, i may have misinterpreted the question there so uh, is, is that what you were you were going well for i was there? just wondering if i'm if i'm if i'm looking at the headers mm -hmm. am i going to see a bunch of if defs to if def out all the concept stuff or Oh, right. Yes. So if you, uh, I think you can still include the concepts header in, um, in the C++ 17 program, for example, but it would be as if the file was empty. So the file exists, you can include it, but it's not going to do anything for you. So I was thinking about, um, algorithms that use concepts. Is that not there? Are, are uh, the algorithms uh, decorated with concepts, the ones in the library? So the uh, the std algorithms, uh, which have been there since C plus plus ninety eight, they uh, they haven't been touched at all, and the ranges algorithms they haven't been added yet. Uh, so I see. at I the see. moment we've we've only got the the concepts that are in the concepts header, but there's there's also a, a extra concept. So there's, there's there's basically three concepts libraries in um, in C plus plus twenty. There's the concepts library, that's where you find things like copy constructible, constructible from, assignable from. Um, uh, what am I thinking? Regular, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you've got the iterators library, which has its own concepts such as input iterator, forward iterator, indirectly copyable, um, and they're, they're all focused on iterators. Those are in the process of being uh, reviewed at the moment. And then you have the ranges concepts, which are things like forward range, view, 
uh, input range and uh, and similar things. Those are also in the process of being uh, being added. And once those once all that machinery is added, then we'll start thinking about the algorithm section. But that, that's all still very much in flight, and uh, there's not really there's nothing that uh, that a user could pull today and start using. Say, std range is fine. That, that, that's not possible at the moment. I see. Well, so that was one of the things that I had assumed that with iterators, iterators are an obvious thing to to have for um, for concepts, and I assumed that the standard library algorithms were updated for that. But you're saying that's so there's now uh, there's now actually uh, two versions of of each algorithm. There's the standard. There's, there's the ones that are from C plus plus ninety eight. They, for backwards compatibility reasons, couldn't be updated because the iterator uh, the, the iterator concepts have changed from C plus plus seventeen to C plus plus C plus plus twenty. That's why if you go to CPP reference, for example, you'll see that the uh, the named requirements have legacy input iterator, legacy forward iterator. It's referring to the things that, that are from C++ 98 through to C++ 17. And then we have the concept input iterator, forward iterator, and so on. Those are the new definitions. And so they're slightly different. Um, and so uh, all, all the all the container iterators uh, that, that we're used to from the standard library still work. But uh, for example, the legacy input iterator expects that uh, the iterator is copyable but the new input iterator does not assume copyability. It only requires moveability. And so if you were to try and feed a move-only iterator into, say, std find, and it did a copy somewhere, then it's suddenly going to break. But we can't go and change that, that, uh, that algorithm to require new input iterator concept because that means that anyone who... Uh, that means that it may actually break, uh, break uh, some code. Uh, and uh, there's, I think... Uh, Titus Winters has done uh, a talk or two on this where he, he talks about if you have a concept as a part of your interface and you change it in either direction, you weaken the concept or you strengthen the concept, it's going to break someone somewhere. And so the workaround for that was we have now got a stood ranges uh, set of algorithms that require all the new stuff, all the new concepts, and they all work uh, in harmony with that. Yeah, right. That's an interesting thing about concepts is that that once you define that, you've defined that, and there is no modification of that without breaking code. And um, that's a little bit scary, although I think in some ways we should treat the standard more like that anyway. Uh, I think I think we mentioned earlier the standards, the, the committee's cranking out a lot of standard, and, um, and sometimes I wonder if we aren't uh, paying quite enough attention to quality issues on that. Um, I mean, it's it's great. We've all been anxious about getting features, and that's that's terrific. I'm glad there's that um, that appetite for that. But um, if if the quality goes down, we live with that forever, and that's really annoying. Uh, I, I think the the quality is still the the, the bar for getting things in the standard is still very high. I think the uh, the committee is doing a, a good job of uh, working out its priorities and what do we want to focus on. I haven't uh, put as much attention to uh, into the committee over the past uh, over the past year and a bit because of uh, well everything that's been going on over the past year and a bit. Uh, but I, I, I do think that um, there, 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 uh, at, because I'm an individual member of the committee, I have my disagreement. Uh, I disagree with certain things that, that that happen, but that that's the case for everyone on the committee uh, w- w- when it comes to direction. But um, but I think overall, in in general, 
the the idea of ranking priorities is uh, is still pretty on track, and is there's 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 a good job that's that's going on there. Phil, do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? I was just thinking that the the whole idea of using all of the uh, concepts for particularly the algorithms was one of the things that really held back C plus plus eleven when uh, we got to the point we realised we need to take what we had of concepts out then along with all of the uses of them that have been baked in through the rest of the standard, uh, that turned out to be quite a big job. Um, and was, yeah, not, not the only thing, but definitely one of the things that, that did hold us back and, and made us a little bit more conservative about how we put concepts in again now. So mm. I'm glad that it has been sort of taken a step at a time, hopefully to, to avoid some of those, those quality issues that we're all worried about. Well, I think the the concepts that got in is, is a little less ambitious than the original concepts. I mean, one of the things that you... Yeah. The idea with the original concepts is that the compiler could actually check and guarantee that algorithms were not, in fact, uh, anticipating. Th there was no use that exceeded the concept. In other words, if you're writing a, a generic algorithm and you had some type, then you could use that type only as defined as a concept. And um, I don't think we have that checking. No, we don't. We don't have that checking um, in the standard. I don't know if the standard will ever adopt that that kind of separate checking. Um, I would like to see there be a if uh, assuming we don't adopt it in in the standard, and I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that it won't happen. Uh, I would like to see the uh, the compilers add a separate flag, like F, for example, with with Clang and probably GCC, because their their flags are very similar. Uh, F enables separate checking or something, or F separate checking. Uh, that 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 brings this feature in because it is a very useful thing to have um, uh, if you uh, if you've got a uh, if you if you understand how to use it and I think that uh, it would it would be a boon to to programmers to to have this uh, this sort of ability for checking that their their functions do indeed behave as they're uh, they're, they're advertising. Is this something that compilers can do? I mean, I, I was under, my understanding was the reason that it wasn't part of the feature is because, given the syntax of what we're doing, it's not a, it's not tractable to do that. But maybe I was wrong about that. I don't know the full history of uh, the original concept specification from uh, C plus plus OX, but um, I, I one of the the problems with um, with separate checking in in a language that's supported. Um, completely unconstrained templates for for 20, 30, 30 years. Is that how long templates have been around for? Uh, well, something like it, that. It was, it was predated. I mean, templates existed before the 98 standard. Um, although I remember when I started programming, which was before the 98 standard, you know, I was explicitly told by, by more experienced people saying, said, stay away from... <laughs> stay away from exceptions and stay away from templates because those things are problematic, but everything else is great. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, my, how, uh, how opinions have changed over the years. Um, but yeah, what, what, one of the key problems is that you've, you've got this constrained function that, that says, for example, it, it's using input iterator and then it goes to call a, an unconstrained function. Well, can we do that? because it's completely unconstrained what guarantees are on that. You've said input iterator, but now this thing is completely unconstrained. Right. Is, that, is that possible? And is it possible to do that? And I don't have an answer to that because I'm not a, I, 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 I'm not a compiler developer. I 
dabble with the comp with the plain compiler, but I don't, I, I couldn't, I can't give you a concrete answer on that, and I'm not a core expert. Um, far from it. Uh, so that 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 was one, that's one of the reasons why we, we why we can't adopt it. There, there's also the specification thing, which I think uh, goes to I, I guess John, you're in, you're alluding to concept maps, uh, which is one of the things that that was dropped uh, from from the from the new design. Yep. And so I, I don't really understand much about them because I haven't looked into them very much. But um, I, I think for a lot of the things. Uh, the, uh, a lot of the concepts that that we have, um, we we could get some element of separate checking done, and for the for the ones at least for the standard concepts where we can't do that, we uh, we say so, uh, directly we can add sort of uh, an, a, a library language interface that uh, where the compiler knows okay this particular concept such as constructible which uses the constructible. Uh, is constructible type trait that maps this thing and we can work from there. Again, I haven't done a lot of research into this. So this is me sort of thinking about how I would do it from, uh, from the sideline perspective. If my plate ever clears up and I get a time to work on this, then I would be, uh, I'd be in a better position to say, yes, this is possible or no, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things the tools can do that the the language can't is the tools can can kind of give a best effort. In other words, if if the if the compiler is checking and sees you've called some function, it doesn't know anything about that function. It can just say, I mean, it could even give you a warning and say, you're calling this function and we can't verify. Or it could say, no, no, we only flag you when we do something that we know is incorrect. In other words, here's this forward iterator, and you've done minus minus on it, and we see that, and there's no ambiguity here that that um, that that's outside the what the concept supports, and that's um, and and that would be useful, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the but the standard can't very well say, well, you know, uh, a diagnostic is required in some cases. <laughs> that's not the way the standard's going to work. <laughs> The standard can do, can and does do that. Uh, for example, there, there are a bunch of semantic requirements on all concepts just because, so you, you've got the concept of quality comparable, for example. And uh, basically what a quality comparable means is that you have type one, type two, and they, um, instance, if, one. It, so instance one, instance two, uh, if that returns true, then uh, then the opposite has to be true as well. And so it's got, it's got to be symmetric. And then uh, you also need to have uh, the not equal operator and that needs to be exactly opposite to what the equal to operator is. So if you're not using C++ 20, then it essentially needs to return not A equals B. Um, and if that is, uh, if that is not the case, if you have, if you have your not equal to operator return uh, return the same thing as the equal to operator, then uh, what the standard says is that uh, this is not a valid C++ program, but because of the uh, because of the amount of heroic effort to actually computing whether or not this is a valid program, we're not going to impose that the, uh, that the compiler issue a diagnostic. So No, I completely understand that. What yeah. I'm saying, that, I mean, there's a lot of situations where we say, um, you know, this is a situation where the diagnostic's not required. But the whole point of checking would be that a diagnostic, you know, that it would be verifiable to you. 
and it will tell oh, you when gotcha. it doesn't do this. And that's what I'm saying is the standards standards committee is not going to say um, the the compiler is required to warn you about this unless it's hard. And then the compiler doesn't have to do that. That's not the way that, you know, the, the committee's not going to do that. Uh, I, I do understand that, yeah. that there's, yes, there's, there's countless examples of situations where the, uh, the standards very clearly says, if you do this, it's undefined behavior. And by the way, the compiler is under no obligation to tell you that you're doing this. And no, and that's the correct thing to do. I'm not, that's mm. exactly right. Yeah. My other podcast is called No Diagnostic Required. That's true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we've never talked about that. Can we put this on t- a hell? Uh, just, let's put this on hold for just a second, Chris, and let's talk about um, that Phil is undermining this podcast by making another podcast. Well, it's a different type of podcast. Um, uh, is it? Is it you or you and Anastasia together, or how's this? Yeah, it's the two of us together. Uh, yeah. We we take sort of topics each and have a bit of a discussion about them. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's yeah. it's really just community news and you know throwing a bit of JetBrains news as well. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, that's, that's terrific. And we have another podcast that we also haven't mentioned. Um, and that is, um, um, uh, the NVIDIA guys, um, um, I think oh, yeah. Connor oh. and, and Bryce are doing one. I wish I could tell you the name. It's something like algorithms Programs plus equals data algorithms equals programs plus data, yeah. something like that. Some yep. catchy name. Um, you know, once once we got CBB chat, you know, we took all the good names after that. It's, you know, it's got to be downhill. <laughs> Although I will say no diagnostic retired is kind of clever. I, I kind of like that one. That's kind of cool. Um, so anyway, and um, yeah, uh, this is, uh, there's lots and lots of C++ programmers in the world. None of them have been commuting in the last year, but they are going to start commuting again. And when they start commuting again, they'll want to listen to podcasts on their commutes. And um, I think that uh, having a, uh, a lot of people generating good audio content is great. Um, so anyway, sorry, didn't mean to derail the whole conversation, <laughs> but when that came up, um, I did want, yeah, cause it's been so long. We haven't, there's so much news that has happened. Um, yeah. and, and we've been, um, we've been quiet on the microphones. So anyway, um, where were we talking about? We were talking about diagnostics required. We we're talking about checking on concepts that's not in, that was part of the original goal. And I think that was part of what was able to get this version of concepts, which at one time was actually called concepts light to compare it with classic concepts. I guess I don't know if there's another name for that. Uh, but but we've gotten that. Um, it's in now in 20, and library support is in um, libc++, Clang, the Clang library, and that's terrific. Um, so um, one of the things that I am curious about is what kind of adoption we're going to see. I mean, we've talked about how cool... And, and, you know, for somebody like me who's interested in algorithms and interested in the STL, um, this is such an obvious, obvious thing. Um, it's clearly been something we've wanted for a long time. I remember before 11 shipped, we, we were, uh, you know, I talked uh, about this with, um, uh, with Alex and uh, how much this would have helped him in developing the STL. It would have made so much stuff um, easier to understand, easier to communicate. And, um, but, but have we seen anybody actually using it? I mean, what are we, what are we seeing? What are people going to do with it? What's the first, um, cause right now, if you do what ranges did, what Eric did with the ranges library, if you said, Hey, I've written this whole new library and it depends on concepts in order to, to make it easy to understand and easier to, to validate as a user. But of course that means that the only people using it are people who are using C plus plus 20, which at this point is not a lot of people. That's, you know, when are we going to see this? 
And I'm not saying you're the authority on that, but if you have any thoughts on it, or if you've seen anybody, is there somebody <laughs> developing a library like this? Um, so uh, that's a, that's a really, uh, really interesting question. I, I definitely am not the authority on this. Uh, I, I think that the adoption is going to to happen progressively over the over over time because um, it, it, it's going to provide people uh, are not interested in supporting backwards compatibility with uh, with C plus plus seventeen or before um, adoption. Uh, it, 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 that's one of the things that is uh, that that it really hinges on. You've either got to have some sort of macro-based system to support concepts and spinA uh, or you've got to have um, or you, you've got to make a decision I, I, I want to have backwards compatibility and I'm so therefore I'm going to stick with spinA or I'm not going to care back about backwards compatibility uh, before C20 C20 is, is the hard is a hard stop and I'm I'm going to uh, I, I'm, I'm going to do backwards compatibility up to C20 but anything before that is, just doesn't exist to me. And I'm going to use concepts. Those are your three real, uh, your three real options. And um, I don't really know. I don't really have a good idea of what people are going to want to do. But I do think that the quality of diagnostics that concepts issue from the compiler's perspective is going to have a a, a fair say in that. Well, I, I, I mean, yeah, the diagnostics is great, but just to be able to write code, I mean, Spina is just not pretty. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and you know it's it's got to be so much nicer uh i mean even even you know constexpr if would clean up spine so much making the code so much easier to understand so much easier to write uh and then we can take that into concept so uh, you know I, i'm uh, well actually that's a, that's, a, that's a good that's a good metric um uh, because c++17 Brought in uh, if Expra, and we we could use that. It's not going to be a one to one mapping of um, of whether or not concepts will be uh, the, the adoption rate of concepts, but uh, it is a spin a killer. Uh, people who oh, yeah. have the ability to use it can get around uh, copious amounts of spin a, and um, does that. Uh, 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 we can look at it and go, well, are people still choosing to support C++11, C++14, uh, or are they sticking with C++17 and beyond because they have this thing that, that lets them get a, get rid of a lot of programming nightmares? Yeah, I, I assume we'll see stuff first in the proprietary. We may see stuff talked about at conferences because somebody is going to show off a library that essentially we did this internally because we knew we were... 17 or, or past or more likely 20 or past because if mm -hmm. we can if we can say we're 20 or past then you can start writing libraries that are concept-based libraries and um but i don't know how much penned up demand there is for that i mean essentially the whole point of of concepts is to make something that is widely usable it's not something that you're likely to want to oh we really want to, to do this proprietary library and concepts are going to unlock our ability to do that no, really, the kinds of things you want to do are, are you know, STL-like things, you know, wide, wide variety of, of uses. Um, so, well, there, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you go on. I think you might be able to say what I, uh, you might be, you might be going to say what I'm going to say. So please. No, no, actually, I was going to change the topic and I was going to say that Connor, <laughs> Connor is in the, is in the, uh, is in the chat room. 
and uh, and he's and he shared the link uh, adsppodcast.com is the correct link for what he's referring to as the one podcast to rule them all. So I guess he um, he doesn't he doesn't think the more the merrier. <laughs> um, we may we may have to have a a a giant podcast and we'll invite uh connor and um anastasia and bryce and jason and rob and we'll get everybody together and and a meta podcast and, and the yeah uh, the podcast to talk about podcasts um so anyway uh so uh what uh what what about other adoption of of c plus plus 20 features in um in, well, both in Clang and also in libc++. I haven't looked recently to see what kind of progress has been made against the standard. Are there other things that we should look at that are still to come? Uh, yes, there's still plenty, uh, plenty to come. Something that I'm, uh, so I, I've moved into the uh, into the ranges space now because concepts is all done. That was done to facilitate getting the ranges stuff uh, in. So that, that that that's on its way, but there's nothing you can use yet. Um, there's also, um, there's also some other work that, that that's been happening. Um, I, I believe there are a few compare things that are in flight, none of which have been merged yet. Um, and, uh, that, that's really all I know off the top of my head. I haven't spent a lot of time reviewing. Uh, Did you say compare things? Uh, yeah. As in the, uh, the spaceship operator spaceship related operator? stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Get, getting that sort of stuff in uh, is is pretty pretty important uh, because it, it really reduces the amount of code that boilerplate code that you've got to write. Now you don't mm-hmm. have to write operator not equal to ever again from a library's perspective. But if you also want to not write your comparison operators, you just want to say uh, operator spaceship. We need to have uh, a bit more a bit more library support for that. And then uh, on top of that, there is a, there's a whole bunch of other things that the compare header. Also, uh, also supports such as a, a function object called three-way compare, or is it compare three-way? I, I, I forget what it's called. Um, but essentially, it's like the uh, the function object equal to, where that uses the spaceship operator instead of uh, uh, instead of the uh, the quality operator. And then there's a, a bunch of algorithms uh, or uh, dependencies for the spaceship operator's algorithms uh, that. Uh, that that header needs to support, and I don't believe it supports currently. Um, then on the Clang side of things, the concepts library feature, so the concepts language feature, still needs uh, to have a few patches made to it for changes that were introduced at the very last minute for C plus twenty. Um, I've sort of been beating the drum on that one a bit more because it's now starting to impact my uh, my work uh, in the library on ranges. Yeah. Uh, it's actually so I, I haven't uh, technically confirmed this, but um, I, I've, I've heard it uh, mentioned a couple of times now on on knowledgeable from knowledgeable people that uh, one of the reasons why Clang doesn't play well with Libstead C plus plus GCC standard library of implementation of ranges is because we are lacking a few of the the final parts of the language feature in the compiler. Uh, so that, that's something that I've been uh, starting to get a little bit more loud about. There's also uh, uh, coroutines is something that I, I'd like to see implemented, uh, uh, sorry, finalized in, in its implementation. Uh, I've been told by someone who's very knowledgeable on the subject 
that um, they they think that it's uh, it's only a matter of like one or two patches that make it uh, go from TS mode into uh, into full C plus plus twenty mode. Uh, but I haven't had the time to investigate that uh, because it's and, because it's it's in now, but it's but it's built against the TS instead of against the standard. So they need to they need to tweak the the actual implementation. That's basically my understanding. Yeah, you just need to say, hey, okay. So when the C plus plus twenty flag is is turned on, now we want to talk about we want to we want to be able to support coroutines. And then also, it's no longer instead experimental; it's just in namespace state. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so there's actually something you mentioned that, you know, I don't know why I've never thought about this, but does, uh, uh, is LVM uh, Clang using the GCC library? Is that a, uh, a supported configuration that, you know, effort goes in to make certain that that, that works? So I, I can't speak for what the, uh, from what the folks over at Libs did C++, uh, whether or not they prioritize Clang, uh, I know that um, that if you file a bug against it and it's uh, it's something that they're willing to fix, then they'll fix it. But I don't know how much the priority the priority is placed on that. Um, I'll I'll leave that uh, kind of a statement to them. But yes, uh, so the default library, the stand library that many systems build when using Clang is still GCC's standard library, and you need to oh, opt right? into using you need to opt into using the LLVM one. And that's just a, I think it's minus std lib equals lib C++ uh, to, to opt into that. But if you're on a Mac, I believe it uses lib C++ by default. And there are a few nice. other uh, libraries, so a few other operating systems where it just does that by default. I see, I see. Well, coming from the Mac world, I guess that's probably why I never really thought about it. But, um, but it's, uh, yeah, if the compiler's clean, uh, why not? You should be able to support any library. Well, assuming the mm-hmm. library's somewhat clean. Um, but there is, there are weird backdoors that are required. In other words, like traits and things like that, which are technically mm-hmm. in the library, but they require special compiler support, right? Yep. Tell yep me, that's right. Tell me, give me an example of where that's the case. Is it uh, detecting for, unions, for example, or something like that? Uh, so the, uh, the, uh, the trait is same, for example, uh, on LLVM has a has a built-in that we can use, and um, and then on the on the uh, on the uh, the lib the C, uh, on the GCC side because uh, lib C plus plus supports both GC, uh, GCC and Clang uh, to a certain degree. Don't take that as uh, a, as an official statement, but we we do have a CI branch for for GCC. Um, and, uh, uh, so, uh, I believe what happens is we, uh, we use the compiler intrinsic for, for Clang and, uh, for GCC, we, uh, we defer to, uh, to, to just templates and, uh, rely on template specialization for thing for, for, for things that, that definitely require compiler support. I'm not exactly sure, but I think that the uh, that, that the folks would uh, who work on the compiler would strive to try and get as little divergence as possible in the names. That way, they they work. And if that isn't the case, then you just have to have a case a, a set of if defs. That way, it's if if Clang do this thing, if uh, if GCC do this other thing, otherwise it doesn't work. Right. So I guess to to clarify what I was talking about is. Mm-hmm. Most of the things that are in traits 
you mm -hmm. can write template code to determine that. It can be done entirely in the library. But yeah. there are some things, such as I think, I, the only example that comes to mind right now is I think union, unions. There's no way uh, to, you can call a template and pass in a union. Mm -hmm. You could have a, you know, a vector of unions or something. But there's no way for you in library to figure out for certain that T is right. a union. So you need some way of asking the compiler, because obviously the compiler knows, mm -hmm. is this thing a union? And the only interface to that, according to the standard, is to use the traits library. So if you're implementing the traits library, you're kind of screwed. So there has to be some backdoor way of telling the compiler, I need to know this. And, yeah. um, and, and you know, obviously the the standard library has to talk somewhere so there's so in other words almost all of the standard library you could write yourself you cannot do initializer lists because that requires special uh mm -hmm. language support um and then some of the things in the traits libraries and i assume there's other things but i don't really i mean maybe you have ideas i don't know what else you'd have to do but almost everything theoretically wouldn't be much fun in most cases kind of tedious but you could you could if you really you know had your heart set on it and i think for some things like um perhaps uh unordered map it might actually be useful for you to write your own <laughs> so there so there might be some some situations like that but um but that's what i was wondering about and so right. if if you're going to mismatch and maybe mismatch might even be somewhat disparative uh, but if you're going to have uh, the gcc compiler and the uh, uh lib c++ or vice versa um then it's just my curiosity of how we handle this. And what you're suggesting is it might be that the compiler intrinsics, the backdoors that they're using, might it be similar enough? Um, because, you know, it's obvious uh, the API uh, flags that you pass the compilers are, you know, are not by, it's not just a coincidence that those are the same. <laughs> right. There, there's active effort that uh, if it first compiler flags to uh, between Clang and, and GCC and I, I I can say that with a teeny bit of authority because I've implemented a warning that uh, in Clang that uh, was specifically taken from uh, from the GCC interface to uh, to have similar sort of uh, semantics. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's definitely the case on the on the at least on the front end side. Uh, it, internally, um, yeah, I, I I think the intrinsics uh, are occasionally similar, and in the case where they're not, it's not that. Difficult to to work out what the GCC intrinsic is if if it's necessary, and just uh, select which compiler you're on and, and choose it. Mm -hmm. Are these intrinsics documented? I assume they must be, even though they're not in the standard. I assume I find out about them when someone tells me in a review, "Hey, why didn't you use this intrinsic?" But <laughs> um, but for, for the most part, uh, the, the stuff that I work on, we want to keep it as as uh, rooted in library stuff as possible. So I haven't really touched many of the many of the intrinsics uh, at, at all. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a back door. You don't want to avoid that if you can go through the front door, of course, of course, of course, of course. All right, wow, um, that's a lot of stuff. So um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, I mean, I alluded to the fact that you were, uh, you'd, you'd fallen, what did I say? Fallen off the radar. Um, I think a lot of people have fallen off the radar. I know a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, who normally speak at conferences, I've gotten some some feedback from people who speak at conferences. Maybe Phil has gotten this as well uh, from people who said, yeah. "I don't want to do that again." Um, speaking at a virtual conference is is a lot less fun because you aren't in the room with the people, and that that kind of feedback 
is way more valuable than people think. You don't you don't appreciate as a member of the audience how much the speaker is is getting off of people nodding their heads or people looking puzzled or people laughing at stupid jokes and for some of us stupid jokes are really kind of important to our to our you know we understand where we're going and and feeding off also the energy of the people in the room and the excitement and things like that um wait people laugh at your jokes it it's been known to happen uh they may be it may be that i hear it as laughing it's really groaning i mean that's entirely <laughs> possible <laughs> in fact that might be the uh, the most likely explanation that I, that I hear it as encouragement. Everybody else is hearing it as, "Oh no, what is, did he just say that?" Um, <laughs> um, but um, you know, uh, C plus plus now is right around the corner. In fact, literally today, uh, I hope to finish the schedule. Um, we have the program, but we but one of the issues we have is that um, you know we have an awful lot of people at C plus plus now who are from Europe. Um, and a lot of speakers from Europe. And this is actually, a, because we're doing it entirely online this year, this is an opportunity for people to speak at CPLs now or attend CPLs now that haven't been able to do so. And so they're sending us their uh, schedule requirements. And it turns out that <laughs> everybody wants to speak as early as possible. And that's going to be really hard to accommodate for everybody. So we're trying to figure out what we can do. Um, so anyway, uh, but the schedule is very, very close to being released. And we do have, you know, we have many of the speakers you've come to know and love, which is great. Uh, it makes C++ now feel like C++ now. Um, but uh, but we have an awful lot of uh, speakers we haven't heard from before or haven't attended before. And I just, I'm just delighted that we're getting, you know, C++ now is an amazing conference, and uh, but it's not always easy to get to. And so for those who, um, this this may be, you know, this may be the chance. And um, so, um, so that's what I was wondering about is, have you been, have you been able to attend conferences and speak and are you attending, are you planning to do so now more than? Um, uh, yeah. So I think, so I, 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 I think I attended one and a half conferences last year. Um, and that was, uh, that, that was more than enough for me last year. Um, this year I was on a, on a panel earlier this year for, uh, for diversity and inclusivity, um, uh, uh, that was a part of the hash include stuff with LLVM. Uh, if you're not a part of hash include C++, thoroughly recommend you, you join that community. Um, and, uh, what was I going to say? Right. Um, I've seen their t-shirts. To- <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to say? Right. Yeah. So I'm, I've, I've got one thing uh, submitted to C++ on C at the moment. I've got two others that I want to submit to C++ on C, assuming the deadline hasn't passed. Phil? Not yet. No, you've cool. got a few days. Wonderful. We should come back to that. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, uh, I think, I think the, the, the key problem with those two ones that I haven't submitted is that I know what I want to do, what I want to talk about. I've got a really good roadmap of that, but getting the abstract out is the most difficult part. And John, you and I have, uh, have, have a bit of a history here where I'll, I'll submit a, a thing to CPPCon uh, and then you'll have to come to me and say, Chris, this is a, this is a good idea, but I, this abstract just isn't going to work for anyone. Can you, can you please go and, uh, and try again? You know, sometimes uh, we, we always have the, 
the, you know, the person whose talk it is writes the abstract. Who is a better authority? But sometimes in some situations, that is the worst possible person to do it because they yeah. are so wrapped up in the details and they see what's going on behind. And it's hard for them to think about it as, okay, what's the message you want to hear for someone who doesn't know all this stuff, who is not an expert in it? And so um, we, you know, the abstract, we want to, uh, well, we want to entice people, but we want to entice it in such a way that it's, that we're going to be able to deliver on whatever we're promising. So, um, and, and it's tough. It's an art. It really is. Um, right. And some people are much better at it um, than others just, and, and sometimes it depends on the, um, uh, on the particular subject matter. You know, one of the things that I see people do a lot, and I understand it because it completely makes sense, is they try to tell a story in the abstract. And, you know, telling a story, that's really engaging and really gripping. But sometimes it's two or three paragraphs that tell us about how this feature was originally proposed here, and it was there, and then the committee did this in, in C++11, and they did this in 14. It's like, no, put that in the talk itself. That That's a little background for the talk. But the abstract is, this is the feature, this is why it's important, and this is what you need to know about it, and that's what I'm going to deliver. And, um, yeah. Um, so, anyway. Uh, enough of uh, <laughs> how to write a uh, how to write an abstract. Um, but Phil, tell us more about uh, what is the deadline and um, how are you doing? I know I, I'm envious. You get more submissions for your size of conference. Um, it must be terrible for you. All the people you have to say no to because you get a ton of good submissions. Oh yeah, that, that's always the hardest part is is saying no. But there's still plenty of room at the moment, so that the the call for speakers is open officially for another six days uh if you're watching this live if you're watching the recording it's probably already passed but i'm gonna try and get it out quickly um but um i i do want to go back to what you were saying a moment ago john about how a lot of people speakers regular speakers at conferences have been saying yeah i haven't done an online talk i'm not sure i want to do that again and it, it is different and it is a, a bit harder and a bit more challenging if you particularly you're an experienced speaker that's the ironic thing like the more yes. experienced you are the harder you find it to make that transition but it's a, it's a new thing it also has some advantages as well and yeah. we're, we're still learning about some of those as a as a community and you can be a part of of that exper big experiment and, and discovering how to make excellent online talks and some of those will even translate back to to the regular uh, conference talks as well when we, when we get back to those yeah so, no don't, don't let that put you off submitting. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't don't trying to, John. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't trying to discourage people. I was trying to say this yeah. is an opportunity for people who some of the experienced people are saying, you know, I'm going to wait. And it's not that much longer, yeah. another half year, and then we'll be back into the swing of things or something. Who knows? And it's not a guarantee for me. But um, one of the things that I think, and um, we've seen a few people, I could mention names like uh, um, um, Connor or uh, David Sankel, who have made their talks. Um, I, I think in the future, conferences will be about live talks and also essentially like a film festival because people put so much <laughs> uh, uh, work into making that talk uh, pre-recorded, using great animation, uh, cutting in maybe videos of other talks by other people. That's one of the things that Connor has done really well. Um, and um, and I, I do think. You know, it's um, in a lot of ways, it is a lot easier to give that live talk when you when you're trying to prepare the can talk. One of the things you do is 
Every time you say something wrong, say, oh, let me, let me do that again. And it ends up taking you like six weeks to get a 90-minute mm-hmm. talk done because you keep thinking, well, I could do that a little better. And, you know, you keep tweaking it. Whereas if you do it live, even if it's not 100% great, you're, you're done. <laughs> but also, yeah. there's a lot of energy to it, too. When you're just speaking to a camera, that's, that's hard to do. And in a live room, it's great. But some people, as I said, some people have taken this as an opportunity to say, look, it's, if I can make a video of it, then why don't I do? I mean. Watch Jason's C++ Weekly, the way, he, um, the way he's able to um, uh, show off code and then actually does things. He actually writes the code, but he speeds it all up. So you actually see him creating things. You see the typos he puts in and then fixes. Um, you know, I, I think that that's what we're going to see in the future is that conferences are going to do more and more. Um, again, I don't think that the, the traditional, you know, hour-long lecture with Q&A, that's not going away. I don't want it to go away. I think it's great. But certain individuals are going to take it upon themselves to say, oh, I have an idea, and this particular idea, I could do animation and show you, you know, what's going on with the register flow and, and you know, what, what are the elements in this container, and they get moved over here as opposed to copied over here, and you can animate that stuff, and people will understand it better. And it's a lot more work, but um, but I think some people are going to be really delighted by the results. So I, I, I think that the future of conferences is going to be enhanced by the fact that we took a year and uh, and didn't do it live. Because I think that that um, and also I don't know what your plan is for uh, C++ on C, but for CppCon, our plan going forward is to be a hybrid conference forever. And I don't think we ever would have done that if uh, if we hadn't been for COVID. But um, the conference last year was so successful that we've decided we want, and particularly, you know, that's part of CPCon's mission is to be um, be kind of a platform for everybody to talk. Mm-hmm. And you can't very well say, well, we're going to platform for everybody to talk as long as those people can come to Denver. That's just, that doesn't make sense. And so, um, you know, we do feel like there's something special about being on site and meeting people and getting to know people. And so that's what we're going to do is we will have that live. But we will also have um, um, a, a hybrid experience, so people can attend and also speak, even if they can't attend. And um, I don't know how it's going to work out yet, because we've done live and we've done online. We've never done a hybrid before, so this year we are first hybrid. And I'm starting to get excited about what the potential is. Anyway, like I say, I don't know. Have you have you decided what your future is as far as that? Are you going to do hybrids in the future? Or are you going to go back to doing live when you can? Or we are definitely looking to towards doing hybrid in the future. But exactly what format takes, you know, still we're still evolving how we're running these things. Even mm-hmm. the the fully online ones, we're mm-hmm. going to be trying a few different things this year as well. And I know you are too. So we're we're all, all in this together, working out what the the best way forward is. I think. Yeah. Uh... Uh, talking of which, just just one more point on that while I yeah. while I've got the mic. <laughs> yeah. Um, C plus on C this year is also going to be a bit of a different format. Uh, again, because we have done so much of the the online conferencing over the last year, we're we're shifting a little bit more of the emphasis towards uh, workshops or, or as you call them classes, you know, more, more like training events, which have usually been more of an add on to a conference, and right. you know, not everyone joins in with those. We wanted to make that a bit more of the of the focus. So there's two days of of those. Uh, including half day sessions. So if you're not something you've really tried before, it's a great opportunity, both as an attendee and as a speaker, a presenter, to to try that out and see what it's like. And there are there are many advantages to doing training online that um, haven't really been considered before all of this happened. So 
that's what we're going to try and do this year. Um, and we we just we need people to to submit classes. So <laughs> if you if you hear this in time, <laughs> go to well, uh, cppnc.uk. Yeah, I and think submit that, your ideas. I I think that um, you know we've never had classes at C now, but cppcon has had classes every uh, since I think the second year on we did classes. Um, and I know Chris has done them for us and, um, they are, I think that people who don't do classes, well, I understand. I mean, the conference is five days, add another two days on that's asking a lot. That's very, um, very demanding, but the people who attend them, I think get a lot more out of the conference than those who don't. And so I'm a big believer in them. And that's why, um, you know, we've, we've thought about, you know, it would be so much easier to just run the conference as a five day event. But now that we've offered the classes, we won't because that's that is so valuable to those people who attend, and they get so much out of it. It is a different experience than a, you know, traditional hour talk with a little bit of Q and A. Um, and I'm sure Chris would say the class is a lot more a lot more difficult to put together when you're talking about the exercises. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yes. it's a lot easier to dazzle somebody for an hour uh, if you're actually gonna. Uh, talk to them for an entire day and, and set up exercises for them and stuff like that. You got to know, fully know what you're talking about. Um, and, um, so I, yeah, I'm, I, I hope you, you get the best of luck with, uh, with, uh, attendance, both, both people wanting to be wanting to do classes and also people wanting to attend classes because, um, um, I think that, that that's really a overlooked source of value. And I don't think that people appreciate that enough. But uh, and I, I I know that people don't appreciate how much work it is. Um, yeah. But I but I also um, and I know from my experience because having gone through COVID, where basically for a long period of time there, I didn't do any training at all, and it wasn't entirely my choice. It was mostly that that clients that had set up to do training are saying, "Oh, whoa, 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 we're canceling all our classes." Right. Uh, in the in the last what has it been? Not quite six months. I've been doing. A, an amazing amount of online training and um it i think there's potential there it is not as good as on site and i'm not going to back away from that but there are things that can make that work and there are actually and the biggest thing for my clients is that a lot of them have people who are located remotely and that makes that makes classes uh available for them that really wouldn't have happened otherwise and so yeah um yeah. i i can attest to that as well because a COVID hit, it's a pandemic, so everyone's been affected by it everywhere. Um, and uh, um, uh, uh, John, as you know, Phil, I'm not sure if you know, and most viewers probably don't know, I used to teach at a, uh, at a university as well. And I, uh, when I moved to Scotland, um, I petitioned to lecture remotely for the C++ class. And uh, the the response was, look, we've where we prefer to have someone on site. Uh, when COVID came around, um, they, they came to me and said, look, we, we know you're interested in this. Would you be interested in being a co-lecturer? And so I, I jumped at it. Uh, I jumped at the chance and said, look, just, uh, just donate the, uh, the money to charity and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put the time in. Um, and then, uh, then uh, I, I found that that was, that was much more rewarding than trying to prepare things uh, as pre-recorded stuff because it's live as you, as you said it's out there i've said it can't take it back 
Uh, if so, and also you, you got this. Uh, if it was on Zoom, so it's got this this, this sidebar that's really small, but uh, questions still pop up, and it's got a teeny bit of interactivity. Whereas pre-recorded stuff doesn't, uh, but it's still so it, it's better than, in my opinion, a pre-recorded thing, but nowhere near as, as good as, uh, as as the live stuff. But it still works and is very accessible, and I think that's one of the biggest advantages of having uh, this online training. And you talked about hybrid stuff uh, in uh, in in one direction, like the conferences that it works in both directions. You've got you can present to people at the conference mm-hmm. uh, once you once you get through the, the technical difficulties, and you you can present to um, people at home. Uh, I, I think that's very easily made bi-directional. I think that the, the, the training, uh, making tra- uh, hybrid training would be an interesting challenge as well. I don't know if you should pick it up in the same year, but I think it'd be something that'd be worth exploring once you've got the, the conference aspect down, because that, that would mean that um, you don't have to, to be on site for the training anymore either. So, I mean, we shouldn't, <laughs> we're getting, we're getting close to out of time. I, I want to say this though. Um, I, I, um, it depends on what you mean by hybrid. Um, I have, you know, last year at CPPCon last year, which is entirely virtual, we had we had online classes, um, and I don't think we'll ever have a single class that is both on site and online. Um, all my training, and I have done that because I've had clients who said we want you to be here on site. And by the way, we have two or three people who are going to call in, and that is completely not the same experience for them as as an instructor. It's just, I mean, and I told the client, I said, okay, I'm going to teach the people in the class. The people online can ask questions. I'm happy to talk to them or whatever, but I don't, I'm not going to be looking to see if they understand the way I look at the people, you know, here. And so I don't think, I don't really see much of a future for having a particular class that's offered in both modes. However, um, having a class that's offered in one mode or the other, that may have a future. Um, I don't think this year we're looking for that uh, for CPPCon, but... Mm -hmm. I can imagine a situation where, um, and it may even be the same class. In other words, we may have like a pre-conference class that somebody does on site and they offer it post-conference online. And I think that that we might see things like that. You know, one of the things that we realized about the classes was, because what we did for CPPCon is instead of having them on the weekend, we actually just had them all the week before, or well, I guess some were the week before and some were the week after, because you know, when you're traveling to the, con- that's why classes eventually actually evolved at conferences because you had to travel there anyway. Let's just extend it a little bit. But when you're doing it online, coming back a week later, it's, that's not, you know, I'm not getting on an airplane. I don't have to make, you know, telephone or ho- hotel reservations or anything like that. So that kind of changes things. In fact, we actually, at one point, we're talking about, um, you know, CPPCon, which is in October this year, but it's normally in September. We were thinking, talking about what if we had in the springtime, we had a maybe a mini mester. In other words, it's it's not a conference; it's it's training only. But we're going to have, you know, a dozen training classes or maybe whatever. We talked about that. I don't know that we're going to do that, but but anyway, that was one of the things because, um, and that would be. Uh, maybe our hybrid training. In other words, we do on-site training in September and then do the online training, you know, kind of six months later or six months early, depending on how you look at it. Um, not certain we'll do that, but but that's one of the approaches that we decided on. Anyway, I think we're kind of out of out of time mm, here. Yes. Um, but it's been great. Thanks for thanks for joining us, Chris. 
Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, thanks for coming. So yes, and for those of you who are listening live, um, you definitely want to uh, submit for C plus plus on C and and register. Even if you're not listening live, depends on when mm-hmm. we get out. But register for C plus plus now. Uh, it's shaping up to be a great conference. I got so many things. I'm really excited about announcing the schedule once we figure out what that's going to be. <laughs> um, so did you have anything else we needed to, to say, Phil? I think we quickly did the next time. <laughs> okay. All right. That sounds great. So um, I'm going to ask uh, Chris to join us in wishing everybody safe coding. So for everybody, safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. <laughs>